well, hearing this confusion that's uh, maybe going on with the disciples reminds us that uh, maybe one of the great challenges that we face in our personal reading of the Bible is uh, trying to determine um, what is going on at times. Are we missing something? Is there something there that we're not really grabbing hold of? Um, is there a bit of metaphor? Is there something linking up to an older idea of scripture? Uh, is there something that we should see or that we should hear that we're not seeing or hearing? That's certainly the case for the disciples. As the disciples bemoan only having one small role, when not that long ago there were 12 baskets of leftovers, or seven after the 4,000 were her, uh, fed, they mishear and they misunderstand what Jesus is teaching them. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. This yeast is not a, a message about accepting sweets from strangers. It's not saying, watch out for where you go and get your bread from. But the challenge not to pick up the bad habits of those lawmakers that they are frequently encountering. Yeast has changed over the years. Nowadays, if we buy yeast for our bread machine, it comes in a little packet that's got seven grams of dried yeast within it, and it's a little foil packet, and you cut the top off and tip it in the corner of the bread machine, and there you go, it, it does its job. But um, when I was um, a lad about Noah's age, I, the son of a baker, I remember yeast as being in blocks. Blocks that were kept in the fridge, that um, were wrapped in greaseproof paper, that were a mucky brown colour inside and looked a little bit like lard, other than the fact they were this funny uh, brown colour. Though, of course, even that concept of yeast is relatively modern, only coming into mass production in the end of the 19th century. Prior to that, you would generally have traditional leaven. A bit of mouldy leftover. Yeast is a sort of fungus type thing. And it, you take a bit of what was left over from the previous batch and you keep it and you keep it safe and then you use a bit for your new batch of bread. A raising agent. Something that will put a bit of oxygen or carbon dioxide into the loaf structure is what you want, giving it that light, fluffy feeling. Jesus 
choice of metaphors, probably thinking of that, that moldiness, that smelliness. And it's often yeast taken as a sign of evil in the Bible. Most times it's mentioned it's about something rotten being there. Because yeast stinks. It really does. And particularly in the old leaven way of doing it. So it was something that was rotten in the bakery to be avoided. And causes problems far quicker, far easier to make you have unleavened bread. Which of course is why they were told to do it at the Passover. Quick, free of mould, no chance of contamination. The disciples here were to be unleavened. They weren't to be poisoned by what had gone on before them. They weren't to adopt the thing that had been there and make it as their own. Taking the unleaven and make it their leaven. Uh, the, uh, the leavening agent from before and make it their leaven. That was not it. They were to avoid the Pharisees' ways, the rigidity, the legalism, the seeking of signs and wonders rather than trusting in faith. There's two key exceptions to the understanding of yeast as being evil. In one of them, uh, it's Matthew 13, um, Jesus declares the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, to be like yeast. A woman takes the yeast and puts it into a batch of dough and it raises it all. The description of that recipe um, as given in the NIV I, I, I struggled with it it says 30 kilograms of dough now that's enough for 60 loaves I imagine that is not a woman in her kitchen at home making bread unless she's got a big party coming up but even then it's a mass production but it's saying that even a little bit even the tiniest amount of yeast has an influence on a massive amount of dough it brings a rising it causes change it enables the kingdom to be seen so there was a that's one of the two instances that I found where it, it goes against what we'd normally expect the formula to be. Normally we're told unleaven. There, there's something about the kingdom of heaven being a, a leavening agent. Anyone know where the other instance is? Where there's a recipe where they say, put in the yeast. No. 
It's in Leviticus 23. And it's where um, the description of what offering to bring on first fruits is being given. Every other festival you're told about unleavened bread. But for first fruits, there's that raising agent, that leaven, that yeast in the bread. And of course, first fruits is described as being 50 days after the seven weeks after, which of course is it's Pentecost now to us. So the time when the bread is there with the air within it that's light and fluffy is for us the time that the Spirit comes. And it gives a, a rising, a hope within for your bread offering which is waved in the temple. Of course, for the disciples, they've not understood the signs of kingdom that have been there. They've not understood about leavening, about yeast. They've not understood messages of healing that we've had. They've seen many signs of the kingdom coming, but they've not understood them. We thought this morning of how the people of the Decapolis could not cotton on to the deaf hearing and the mute speaking. They saw the healing and just took it as being he makes the deaf hear. He makes the mute speak. But there was a deeper hidden meaning in that teaching coming from Isaiah 35. It was a sign of the Messiah being among them. However, the disciples are seeing signs on a regular, if not daily basis. And they're not adding up. They're not seeing the signs and thinking, from the scripture, I know what this means. So Jesus has to walk with them and starts to prompt them with the two feeding miracles. Two instances where there's not been enough bread. They're saying, I've only got one loaf. So he says, think about those times when you've not had enough bread. What happened there? When there was 5,000. And what about when there was 4,000? Five thousand people, well, five thousand men plus women and children, four thousand men plus women and children. I wonder what they think. Did they just take those twelve baskets that were gathered as being well, it's twelve baskets. That's quite a lot. Or did they find the significance in the number? And I wonder how confidently, when asked about the feeding of the 4,000, which has not long happened, that they respond with the number seven. Was it that full Len Goodman 
on Strictly 7? Or is it a bit of a 7? You know, was that the number? Can't quite remember. Mm. Is there a question mark there in their voice? Do they understand? Do they twig to the hidden message? And I guess the issue for us is, do we, even all these years later, even the number of times we've read it, do we get what's happening there? Initially, at that feeding of the 5,000, it was God's people, the Jews, that were being fed. And it's 12 baskets that are gathered up. Saying that there's plenty here. Plenty here for all 12 tribes. But where are we this time? Where are we at the feeding of the 4,000? Well, it follows on from a little bit from where we were this morning. Jesus has visited Tyre and Sidon. And then he's gone to the Decapolis. He's been in Gentile areas, and that number seven is a number of completeness. We've seen by this stage that the dog doesn't just get the crumbs from under the table, but actually gets a seat at the banquet. Jesus has gone to the non-Semitic areas, bringing blessing and bringing healing. Gentile healings are alongside those of the children of Israel. And so that seven is indicative of the fact that God has love for the whole world. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation as we sang off this morning. It's for everyone. The hope is there for everyone. Yet the Pharisees are restricted in what they think. Not only in interpretation of the law, but like the crowds Jesus encounters in his travels, they are simply asking for another sign. Show me something. Rather than asking, show me the coming of the kingdom. Show me it in its fullness. It would have been easy for Jesus to have done something miraculous for the Pharisees. But instead he leaves them wanting. And has to teach the men he's with in the boat don't go after the yeast of the Pharisees. For me, it begs the question, what do we expect of being kingdom people? In some places, the church becomes a holy conclave. Um, 
I've been places in the past, and actually I was thinking back to when it was, and uh, in the first church that I was in after I came back to faith, after university, um, when I started going, you know, what is missing from my life and trying to um, discover that, uh, I started worshipping at a, a free church in... Uh, the outskirts of Reading on an estate called Ford's Farm and uh, the song that was sung I Believe in Jesus uh, it was one of the songs I remember singing there from that very early stage of me coming back into the faith having had a gap in my teenage years and at that same time I I recall there the church had copies of what were a local Christian business directory. So that you would employ that joiner or electrician or window cleaner or whoever it was, child carer, that you would, as a Christian, go to that business and they would seek your business. But by deliberately seeking support within the faith or deliberately seeking tradesmen within the faith, you actually reduce your contact with people outside. You close the doors rather than just seeking the best tradesman that's there. So your opportunities for evangelism decrease. The completeness of the seven, the number of days in a week, means we must not narrow our range of contacts, but seek to expand them. Seek to build relationship with new people in new ways. The nourishment of Jesus The bread he has, the bread of life, is for all. So we must be prepared to share our faith. Not with just one or two. Not just people like us. But with those who are quite different. And that's a difficult thing to do. And we sometimes don't get the understanding right. And we sometimes say the wrong thing. as Jesus tries to point out to the disciples here in the boat as he walks them through the what happened what was left questions he challenges them to think in new ways and the same is true for us Amen.